If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Alderton, and my mate Callum Goodall in a week where West Ham managed to lose 6-0 to Arsenal. And um yeah, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about how we feel afterwards and then obviously break into individual performances, tactics, what Arsenal did well, what we did obviously terribly. Um <laughs> but before we go into that, please do check out the website, um, head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members if you want to support the pod. Um I have to say a huge thank you to one person who sent us a very, very generous donation. Um it's much appreciated. And um whatever you can contribute, whether you sign up for a membership on the pay what you want basis or send a donation through to keep the pod running it massively helps um us cover the cost of doing this um so yeah thank you and um and now let's talk about the shit eh so how, <laughs> how did you feel after the game Carl? I, I, I was there i managed to stick it out for the full 90 uh, not many Crikey. did uh, and it was especially bad in a way because there was this ticketing error before the match i'm not sure if you heard about it loads of no. people couldn't actually get in at the at the start of, <laughs> of the match so and i was one of those people like queuing up at the ticket office waiting to get a like a paper ticket printed out to be able to actually get through the turnstile and i think there are a lot of people in that situation because you got in around 20 minutes into the game which was not very long before it all started to go pear-shaped so like you're already frustrated about waiting at security for 20 minutes waiting at the turnstile for 10 minutes getting to the front of the uh, the queue at the turnstile everyone being like aggy about wanting to get into the ground your ticket not working then having to queue up again to get a paper ticket and then finally getting into the ground you've like just settled from the kind of (laughs) sensation of being like frazzled about that whole experience and then bang 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 (laughs) i can see why people were just like yeah i'll see you later um and and for what it's worth there's been this whole debate on like in football media generally this week about kind of whether fans should stay or leave you've paid your money do whatever you like i mean i'm just to, to to say my opinion on that i don't think anyone um should be forced to 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 stay or go and i don't think there's anything you know anyone's any bigger it's particularly in a game like this for for staying for the for the full game um but yeah, what were your feelings as you were watching it? And then afterwards, I, I imagine it's going to be the same as mine. Pretty, pretty rubbish, eh? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rubbish. I was hungover watching it uh, with three Arsenal fans. So that oh, added mate. to the experience. <laughs> they, were, they were very keen to uh, to give me some stick, which is, which is fair enough. But to be honest, by the end, like I, I'd gone past the point of anger to, to the point of delirium. And I, was, you just, I just had to laugh. I was just like, mate, this is just so... It, it was comically bad, comically poor performances all round. It was just like, I've, I, I was trying to work out if it's the worst I've ever seen West Ham perform. And I, I, I can't think, I'm struggling to think of another game really where it was so just catastrophically bad across the board. And at that point I was like, yeah, it's just, it's not even worth getting too upset about. Like it's, it's just funny. Like how, how poor we were. And like you say, we're going to come on to Arsenal and, and how impressive they were. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sort of, uh, yeah, it was a wave of emotions from shock to anger to, oh my Lord, what on earth is going on to, you know what, lads, yeah, I'll, I'll take all the jokes. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it. Um, but yeah, obviously disappointing, massively. Yeah. Okay, let's let's start to break in where we can into discussing what 
exactly went wrong here. And I think the first thing to talk about, because obviously it's launched a huge debate in, in West Ham spaces, is kind of the... We'll talk about Arsenal, like we said, but from on the West Ham side, the kind of mixture of the collective, individual performances within the collective, and then the tactical conditions um, that all of that is operating within, how they mix together and where you assign responsibility or blame when, when something like this happens. And um, I think it, it, if we're to launch that conversation, I think where I'd like to start from would be to talk about individual performances and tactical context, right? So the tactical context for me is fairly simple in the sense that the way that West Ham generally play under David Moyes against teams like Arsenal is very similar. I mean, you'll have small tweaks here and there for different teams that we come up against, but generally the idea is going to be to defend compact and deep uh, and try and draw as many players forward as possible and then attack the space at speed on the break. Um, one of the issues with this, particularly against a team like Arsenal, and I think often we've we've come up against this, maybe against um, Liverpool as well, is that the more dominant physically, the more physically dominant the other team's uh, centre-backs are, the harder and harder that gets, especially without Antonio. So, it's, I mean, part, that's part of the reason why our wins over Arsenal beforehand this season were so impressive um, because Saliba is a freak. Gabriel is a freak. <laughs> Rice is a freak. Like this is not an easy rest defense backline unit to get through on the break. In fact, you know, this is probably in terms of their rest defense unit and their protection in those situations, the best team in the world at, at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, first off, I think, that makes it really difficult from a tactical context with the way that we choose to play against Arsenal. However, I think we also have to think about the strengths and weaknesses of the individuals we have in our squad, the way that we standardly play, and uh, and what players are used to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think at the moment, um, with the squad that we have, and we've spoken about this a lot on the West Ham Breakdown um, and uh, another work that we've done, it is hard to see huge or significant benefit to again doing the opposite stepping out and being super aggressive against a team like Arsenal because of the qualities particularly physically of the defenders and midfielders um, that we have Um, whether we have the individuals who could cover space at speed defensively um, in the way that they would need to if Arsenal were able to break through which you would expect with the quality that they have in their in possession play that's another question So I think the tactical context, particularly going forward, is really difficult. The tactical context uh, or conditions defensively, I think, should, in theory, be more suited to certain individuals we have in the squad who should be able to shine in those conditions, especially when we're defending compact and deep, right? So Kurt Zuma is someone I think of who should really shine in those conditions. We spoke about uh, these games coming up, and we we spoke about the centre-back partnership, and we were talking about whether... We thought Mavropanos should be coming in. You know, Zuma had had a run of really poor form. Should we be um, switching things around in the back line? And I think I was maintaining the position that with games against Manchester United and Arsenal, Kurt Zuma is probably a better pick for those games because the tactical conditions will be more suited to bring out his strengths than other games we may may have played recently where he had looked poor. Um, Same goes for someone like Thomas Suchek, right? And we could go on beyond that to talk about other individuals other individuals sorry i think maybe vladimir sufal also falls into that category from a from a defensive perspective edson alvarez another player who i think does quite well um in those conditions too um what i then have to take it on to is the individual performances that we actually got in this fixture and i think that impacts whatever value you would notionally create through your tactical setup anyway. And obviously there's a sort of symbiotic relationship between tactics and performance, right? Um, They impact each other. But for me, the way that I would view something like this, and we're going to go through the goals after we talk about this, when you have such physically weak performances in the duels from an out-of-possession perspective, I don't think it really matters that much what your intentions were in the way that you set up because losing duels equals conceding goals regardless of how you want to play whether you press high whether you sit in the mid block or whether you sit in a low block whatever your triggers are however you want to defend 
whatever kind of team you are at any level, if you don't win the physical battle, particularly in the boxes, you are going to struggle to win football matches. And that for me, when we're talking about kind of the mixture of responsibility across kind of the collective and the individual and the tactical level, I think for me, that's kind of the first big sort of thing that breaks in that chain to be able to then impact the other things where other things start to look really bad as well. And we have other things that fall apart after that as well. Like we don't react tactically well enough when we're not winning the duels to create situations to protect ourselves, which we should have done. Like we were still too eager to try and step up in situations that we usually would in our mid block when we possibly should have just gone, this really isn't working Four one four one deep, really, really deep. Let's get everyone, pack, you know, pack the box, make it really difficult for them to create chances and do something similar to what we did against Brighton early in the season where we sat way off and, and didn't engage at all. Um, you know, and I think that was a poor response. And then on the collective, I also think the way that we psychologically responded as a unit to conceding a couple of goals in the first half was horrendous. Like the collective did not galvanize, did not respond well in terms of, you know, right, this can't happen. Let's go and assert ourselves on this, make sure that we win some jewels, look after the ball, whatever. It just got worse and worse and worse. And we got weaker and weaker as the, as the game went on until we sort of maybe finally stabilized right towards the, towards the end of the game. But even then, I'm not really sure how much of that was collective stabilization as opposed to finally finding a tactical tweak that made things a little bit easier for us because we did end up going to sort of a flatter four, five, one at the end of the match, which made it harder for us to find the kind of spaces they were finding. That's where I'm at with that. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether on, on the relationships there and, and how much blame you would put on, on, on different parts, different constituent parts um, that led to the performance that we got. Yeah, I think, yeah, you've, you've assessed the situation pretty, pretty well there, to be honest. And I fall in a similar camp. I think the, the rebuttal from a lot of fans would be that uh, in setting up like that, you're almost doomed to the, to the situation that we found ourselves in because obviously you're inviting waves of pressure and therefore the more sustac- the more attacks you face, the more likely you are to concede. But my counter to that would be that from Moyes' point of view, he has to set out the team to do what he thinks gives us the best chance of success and the only thing he can base that on is the evidence available to him and we have won twice against Arsenal this season playing in the way that he wanted us to play this season and if if you have already won twice he would be an idiot to change the the, the approach um, and it's not unreasonable of him as a manager to expect a repeat performance from the players that he has at his disposal given that they've done it twice already this season um, and I think that is kind of where I land is that I, th- I think that there is definitely merit on a on a more macro level to sort of across the, the, the wider results recently in 2024. There is merit to the notion that, yes, OK, playing such a sort of uh, regressive, maybe not the right word, but cautious approach does lead to the sort of downfalls that we have seen. But in this sort of one game case study, I, I don't think it carries as much weight because I think, like I say, it's... It, I think anyone before the game would have probably anticipated that we would have set up in that way because it's worked. What we wouldn't have expected is that there would be such capitulation over the course of 90 minutes from players that have done the job once before. Um, and I think as well, the flip side of that is that Moyes probably couldn't anticipate the way in which Arsenal played because it was so different to ways that they've approached breaking that block down previously and we probably went out and set up with an approach that's worked worked before um and maybe this is the shortcomings of Moyes I guess in that Arteta has gone away and looked at it and gone well we're going to devise an entirely different way which is why he's an elite manager and Moyes has gone well I'm going to stick to what I know because it's worked before and hasn't had the sort of tactical nous to be able to go away and anticipate the changes that you probably would expect because Arteta is not approaching this game from a point of view of two wins, it's two losses. So he was forced to change the way he played. Um, And that has probably a good place for us to leave it in terms of breaking down what those changes were and how it resulted in the capitulation, like we say. (laughs) But I think largely, uh, I don't think Moyes, I think Moyes has to shoulder some blame, but I think at least from the defensive standpoint, it's unacceptable really from Zuma and Agurd predominantly i would say um in some of the well 
most of the goals, but certainly a, a large portion of the goals because the defending was just, it was so far off the standards that we've come to expect. Um, and even the standards that we've come to expect recently, which aren't especially high. Yeah, I think I think where you see the, the massive contrast between the managers is in their ability to react in game. And that's where I see the difference. So in terms of what you said about anticipating, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure particularly when you look at the pattern of the sort of first 20, 25 minutes of the game, how much Arsenal had changed mm. in that initial period. It's what happened after that, Yeah, for me, is where you see Arteta's ability to tweak in-game, diagnose a problem and fix it, and Moyes' inability to do that, or how much longer it takes Moyes to do that right yeah um because eventually i i would suggest we did manage to find a way to kind of stem the bleeding if you like but it just took way too long um and should have happened way way sooner if we're going to go on to talk about those things that arsenal did really well i think the first place to to start for me was how much more willing they were to be direct outside the block um i think in terms of the way that they played, certainly from sort of minute 25 on, really, for, for much of the rest of the game, we saw things that I just haven't really associated with Arsenal in previous games. Like Even when I come to think about how much I've watched Arsenal just playing against other teams in the league and, and in, in other games, like how often do I really see Saliba dribbling up the right wing? Like mm. That's not something I'm used to seeing happen. Um, at Arsenal and yet we saw it in this game we saw their kind of willingness to be really direct um, through the wide spaces and then access it, accessing kind of zone 14 or the half spaces really well through Erdegaard through Havertz through Trossard um, and, and actually you know Trossard is a, possibly a good place to then move on to as well because the contrast for me between Gabriel Jesus's performances as a kind of false nine type striker presence in Arsenal's system and how Leandro Trossard played um, at the weekend was vast. And I think Jesus is a great player, but what I feel that we've often seen from, from Jesus, and I think I spoke about it, it would have been last season um, when we beat Arsenal, was how many touches Jesus was taking and how, yep. how much he was slowing up what they were yep. able to do and allowing us to reset our shape deeper every time he stepped off and, uh, and received the ball. In complete contrast, you know, one of the goals provides you know, a perfect example of this, really. Trossard drops all the way onto like the second line of build-up, turns and pings the ball over the top straight in behind. For like, That's a completely level of different level of directness to what we've seen Arsenal do previously against us. So I think that's the big thing for me, how much more direct they were. And actually, strangely enough, also perhaps part of that for me is like, how how many good situations they got into in the wide spaces and just the willingness to put the ball in the box, like just to keep putting it in the box, even if we, and we weren't good at heading it out of the box in, in this game. And that was <laughs> me, like that's the biggest thing. And we're going to talk about Kurt Zimmer and now if we're getting more depth after after this segment. Um, but they just kept putting in there and you get, you get the upside from set pieces that come as a result of getting into the wide areas, forcing situations that are difficult, whether you win a free kick, whether you win a corner or whatever. Um, so I, for me, that was one big thing, just the attitude um, in that Arsenal team. The next big thing tactically is that is the is the White stepping inside, Odegaard being higher than he was um, at the start of the game, and how just how impactful Odegaard was in those between the lines spaces. They were able to create that typical box midfield shape, and it's something that we've spoken about loads on Analytics United, loads on this podcast. Is Moyes versus the box midfield? You know, not not often in a good place when that happens. And um, the three before in the middle always seems to cause us um, problems. Perhaps what was slightly different about the way that Arsenal did it though, is that um, maybe where you would have seen us slightly find a fix, for example, earlier in the season in that Brighton game, where we won three, one their box was super narrow. Um, Arsenal were nice and narrow on the second line, you know, whether that was Rice and White, which it was a lot in the game, but we also saw um, Rice and Trossard because Trossard was dropping so far off the front line so often. Um, the, the, the next line up, which is Odegaard and um, Havertz, 
were incredibly wide, yeah. <laughs> incredibly wide. Um, and that's two dynamics coming together that I think causes us problems, right? One is the box midfield, which I think always causes us problems. And the second one is when teams use the double 10 mm-hmm. setup and pull wide to force our double pivot wide, which means yeah. access to the striker if the striker stays on the last line or alternatively the double pivot stays narrow and you just access your your your, your tens in nice what yep. oceans of space in the wide areas right so and and then it's all about really the quality that you have in, with those players like if if your tens are good enough which arsenal's most definitely are you're going to cause problems if you manage to access them in, in in that space and i think of like uh alexis McAllister in previous west ham brighton yep. games as being the kind of guy that's just caused us absolute nightmares receiving in that wide double 10 situation from the box midfield like that's the other time i've seen this happen to us it was very similar to those dynamics that we we had in those previous games against uh brighton those would be the the big things for me um and i think lastly i would say you know a big contributing factor was our in possession stuff um which is impacted by what i started with which is the, the most negative tactical condition we had in the game is is a no Antonio versus Gabriel White's uh, Saliba, Kivior, Rice trying to counterattack thing, right? Like we just did not win our duels in attack, never mind in, in defense. Like we just yeah. not hold the ball up and stabilize things in possession, which meant you're just getting the wave after wave situation, which, you know, inevitably is going to cause you problems, even if you're managing to patch up holes as best as possible, like you're still going to struggle in a situation like that. So I think that, you know, it's those performances too. And the standout, you know, everyone's talked about Erdogan, but the standout thing for me immediately after the game was like, Jesus Christ, Saliba and Gabriel are yeah. unbelievable. Those two yeah. are just crazy good. Um, particularly Saliba, who just seems to be on... It reminds me of, you know, the up curve that Liverpool had when they when they brought Klopp in and then they put Van Dijk in the team and it just went from one place yeah. to a completely different place. It reminds me of that. Saliba's coming to that Arsenal team and it's just a different universe that they're in with, with him in the back line. He is a disgrace physically. <laughs> he can do everything. Um, so, yeah, a, a, an incredible player, an incredible performance uh, from Arsenal. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And Talib is probably a good place to end in a way because if we wanted to go through the goals he got the first one um, yeah and for me in many ways what i was speaking about with individual performances and losing physical battles undermining whatever you do tactically or collectively this goal kind of sums that up for me because it's a corner to the back post and and alvarez and emerson just get yep. battered in the air with and there's yep. just no real excuse for it right no, a hundred percent. It was quite funny actually watching it. Um, like I said earlier, with uh, three Arsenal fans, and they kind of it, the way they were talking about like, oh, uh, White's going to go and block the keeper in a sec. Because I, I noticed that they were all stood at the back post. I was like, wow, the penalty area is empty. Like, there's no one there. This is interesting. They were like, oh no, White will make a move over to the keeper soon. He'll put a block in. Rice will block a runner. And I was like, oh, this all sounds very familiar. I was seeing a lot of this in West Ham shirts last season, uh, and sort of the the influence of Rice. Not not as a taker, which is something that I didn't realise he was going to just add to his repertoire. Like the delivery for the second goal was just outrageous. Um, 
but yeah, like the the sort of blocking and stuff and what he's added to to them in terms of what he can offer in those routines. And I think whoever their set piece coach is, credit to him as well because he's obviously cooking up some serious heat off off the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's 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 inexcusable, and I think this is probably one of my biggest frustrations at the minute, uh, and and is causing me some of the biggest questions with regards to how I. I'm starting to view Moyes and, and what that looks like. We'll come to that later. But the things that we're meant to be good at, the things that are meant to be our bread and butter are starting to fall away. And I, at that point, there's serious question marks about sustainability beyond the end of this season. Because if you can't do the things you're meant to be good at and you can't do the other things, then it, you, there really has to be questions asked. But yeah, I, this... This was sort of, yeah, uh, when this went in, I was I started to be worried because I was like, oh, gosh, well, the game plan is going to go to pot if we can't win our aerial duels. And outside of Saliba and Gabriel as well, I think Havertz obviously has become a bit of a meme this season because of the price tag associated with him. But my God, is he physical? He's an absolute unit. Um, I think you obviously think of him as quite a sort of deft sort of especially when he was at Leverkusen the sort of 8-10 role that he played was a bit of a playmaker but the sort of transition into essentially a focal point number nine slash ten sort of in the same way that we try to use Suchek but struggle to do it effectively Havertz is being deployed almost perfectly in that role um, I can imagine Moyes was looking at it like Thomas come yeah, on yeah. bruv just look at what he's doing man this is what we're trying to do um, but yeah it, it was painful and super frustrating because like I say that's the one thing that we're meant to be quite good at and recently it just seems that it's slipping away from us yeah it's it's interesting really because you approach the Moyes thing or I do anyway through the lens of like the fixtures and I often look at like certain teams and think well okay you know some games are going to be difficult for us and other games are going to be a yeah. little bit easier right and um and you, you you look at a game maybe less so arsenal but but definitely man united you look at a game yeah. like that and you think all right here, we, here comes the box dominance you know like that's yeah that's where yeah. i expect it to really tell and i think that that's been the most disappointing thing about these two fixtures back to back is just the box dominance collapse which like yeah. you say that that has to be the bread and butter of any moist team like and I think even more so at the minute, like you say, with Antonio out, it's like I can almost I can almost overlook the fact that on the counter we're less effective against these teams because we don't have the out ball. So I can kind of forgive Moyes for that. Like if it falls apart in that respect, that's kind of out of his control. I mean, you can look at wider squad planning issues, but it's out of his control in the sense that we're going to be trying to go up towards Bowen against a back four of centre-backs that are all 1v1 specialists. Like, if there's one way to kill a counter, it's to put four unbelievable 1v1 defenders in there. And, and the best three... six in the world in front. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. And two of the centre-backs, well, two of the defenders are blessed with unbelievable recovery pace as well. So, should they get through, it's going to be a foot race between Saliba and whoever else, which is, again, a bit of a cheat code, really. It seems, I guess to be a bit of a new meta in the sense that Pep's been doing it as well, isn't it? The sort of four centre-backs yeah. across the back line against these sorts of teams. And it's just like, it, it sort of nullifies the attack. But if you're going to be nullified in attack, it puts even more pressure on your defence to be up to up to the mark. And and we knew that going into it. Like we know that the attack is stunted at the minute because of injuries to Pakatar and Antonio. So yes, it puts the pressure on. But like we say, we we should be training double hard at being dominant in the areas and we've got the players that should be able to do it. And unfortunately they just were not absolutely, they were so far off par like for, for what we would have needed. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I should, I should clarify best defensive six for sure. Best six, possibly another conversation, but best defensive <laughs> six. Absolutely. Let's rattle through the goals. Goal number two. Um, again, it's the, it's the back line that you're looking at and, um, for me, this kind of thing drives me absolutely insane. Um, I I hate goals like the first goal where you can see the through just losing jewels inexplicably in the box, right? But goals like the second goal drive me absolutely insane because it's 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 more psychological to me. It's about confidence, and when you've got a team like Arsenal who are vacating central zones with the striker often stepping into you know dropping off into really deep areas i absolutely have to have the center backs pushing out in those yeah. situations there is no excuse in the like it doesn't matter what you want to talk about when it comes to this game or other games of the season or the manager or whatever there's no excuse for kurt zuma who is captain of the football club 
and Naya Gerd, who's got a big price tag on his head, loads of experience, seasoned international, to not be leading the back line up yeah. the pitch when the striker drops off. There is no, like I want my fullbacks to be doing it anyway, but I understand that they're nervous because Saka and Martinelli are trying to push them back at all times, right? I get the stress of being the fullback in the situation that they're in, where, you know, okay, the, the winger's always threatening to make the run in behind. You know, Brighton do the same thing, right? Think, in fact, just think about that Brighton game. It's such a perfect comparison in many ways because Brighton have the same thing. The strikers would drop off. Ferguson and Welbeck would both drop off and it would be Matoma and March trying to push our defence back. But in that game, we showed everything that we should have been showing in, in this yep. one, which is Alvarez would go with one of the whichever the striker was that was, that was dropping off. And then Ogbonna and Zuma would step up to make sure that the space is condensed. And if you want to pop the ball over the top, fine, but you're going to have to hit it on a diagonal to the wide space rather than the ball that they ended up being able to play, which is straight through the middle of the team. And then you're going to give us time to get back into our shape, keep you wide, and you're only going to be able to cross the ball into the box where we can trust our defenders or our goalkeeper to be dominant in those situations and add players like Suchik into that as well. For me, the second goal is just there's just no excuse to be so passive in the back line then. And I think you're selling out the players in front of you who then look stupid because they're all sat in their sort of standard mid-block positions. You've got Bowen chasing around the centre-backs, trying to put pressure on, which is everything that the fans ask for, by the way. You know, the, the fan base wants performances where we do try and get after teams and do try and put a bit of pressure on. Don't want us to just sit off passively. Um, and, you know, in many ways in the first 25 minutes, I saw us doing that. There were a couple of situations where we did win the ball back high up the pitch because we were trying to press out of out of our shape at the right time when it was possible. So we're set up to be able to do that. We're set up to be able to spring out of that shape uh, and cause Arsenal problems. But your back line needs to be supporting that. Your back line needs that. You can't have 10 yards gap then between the deepest midfielder and the centre-backs. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so second goal, terrible. Straight ball over the top. Awful defending from the whole um, defence. And then the two goals that follow that, for me, were just like pathetic, losing duel situations yep. like the, both of them just stem from two or three or even four just lost jewels in a row um the 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 third one ben johnson is massively culpable um because they're all offside <laughs> and johnson yep. just decides alone to drop two yards off and play everyone on which just doesn't make any sense really um and again, for me, is looking at perhaps a little bit of psychological brittleness in in, in the team, which we, which you just don't want to see. Um, and then the fourth one is just a series of of, of lost jewels in a row until it drops to Erdegaard. He plays Trossard in, and, and Trossard whips it into the into the top corner. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The fifth one. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to talk about individual performances with you as soon as I finish this chat, but James will prowse on the wing. Uh, yeah, you want your shape to be... Anyone who's kind of... It's one of those things when I'm talking about this, I almost want you to be able to witness the goal. So I almost suggest as you're listening, if you can, get the goal up and watch it. What... what it should be two like flat lines of four. Why is Ward Prowse in the same line as Calvin Phillips? It, it yeah. was he doing there? First of all, because he's created a two v one for Emerson out wide, where Emerson's then got Saka and White to mm-hmm. to deal with. 
But secondarily, like, why is Emerson then stepping out to white? Like, you just let the ball go out <laughs> yeah. wide and defend the cross, right? Like, that's what, as soon as you step out to white, you've left Saka in the half space, able to receive on a straight line from the most creative player. Like, it's just shambolic. It's like Sunday league level defending from, from all three of them, really, from Ward, Prowse, Emerson, and Agurd. Although I would say for Agurd, like, as much as I think his individual performance in this one was shocking. Like he has been sold out by Will Prowse and Emerson. Like, oh, put in a position where their their guy, their boy Zaka, is facing him at speed in space yeah. as well inside the box, which you just your centre back should not end up in that in that. Yeah, position. and I, I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, um, of like terrible defending from a gird. Like everyone knows, you can't show Saka onto his strong foot. I was like, it's not about showing him onto any foot. It's about Saka. That is his bread and butter. It's He's one of the best right-wingers in the world and certainly in the Premier League. And his whole thing is, I've got a low centre of gravity and tricky feet and I'm going to stitch you up and make you look like an idiot. That's not a, a good being bad. He had a terrible game. But I think in this instance, like you say, the situation should never have arisen because the whole like the whole skill of defending is working out who is the most dangerous and making those calculated risks of, okay, well the probability of a goal scoring opportunity coming from Saka being on the ball is so much higher than Ben White being on the ball on the touchline. So therefore we make the collective decision to give Ben White the ball and we take that risk, but we didn't. And like, and it's not even as if we're playing some like bizarre team in the Europa league and we're not really that aware of who their danger men are. It's Bukayo Saka for God's sake. Like everybody knows that he, or maybe more so than anyone in the Prem bar Salah and potentially Bowen, his whole thing is cut inside onto my left in the half space or outside the edge of the box and then whip it in. And yeah, I mean, a did was made to look silly, but I think the blame really it, it's earlier in the sequence. And I don't think you can really, I think Saka would have stood up most center backs in that situation because fundamentally you shouldn't be allowing him to have that much time on the ball anyway, or that much space. It, it looks silly because you, you end up in a position where you're watching it and you want a good to react quicker, but a good is never going to be anticipating his fullback being outside the line, chasing down the opposition <laughs> yeah. fullback who's like 10 yards He's miles away as well. Fly, like, what is he doing? Kind of bit like, so yeah. yeah, I understand the way it looks, but, and it looks comical in the end, but it's just like the thing, the two things that happened before with the left side of Emerson, which we've spoken about so many times about how fucking atrocious that combination is yeah on the left side of the pitch like it doesn't make any sense in possession or out of possession and it just kind of was on show um in that example and then the sixth one um he's very similar to the second one for me it's you know calvin phillips comes on and we're going to talk about him as well goes to do a solo press right onto onto Erdegaard who's back to sort of receiving in in deeper positions slightly different to what he was doing in that rampant period between sort of minute 25 and and half time um he goes to 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 press out onto him by himself which in itself is a bit of a mad decision but fine if you're going to do it go and go and give it your best and then stay switched on afterwards for whatever reason he turns and faces our goal back to the yeah. ball and just starts walk slash jogging back into into position. Mate, it looked like, you know, when you're like playing footy in the park with your mates and like you, you turn around to like wave goodbye and say, see you later. And then you jog off because yeah. you've got to try and catch the bus or something. He's just kind of looking around like, oh shit, man, there's bare birds in that tree. And like just jogging about like brother, like you have made the decision, which I can almost guarantee you have not been told to do tactically to spring all the way out. Uh, I mean, yeah, Bielsa ball style, right? The fucking high press that is absolutely the antithesis of what Moyes is wanting you to do. Particularly when you're already 5-0 down, I could imagine he's screaming in his Scottish when accent. When you're 5-0 down, yeah, like, like, there's, there's chasing the game and trying to get back into a game. And then when you're 5-0 down, it's right, let's keep, let's keep this, let's stop the goals now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just springing out. But it's like, like you said, if you're going to do it, if you're going to be the one that basically takes it into your own hands and decide that this is the best thing to do, then you better be busting your balls to get back and making sure that you don't get punished for it. Because it's one thing going against whatever the managers say, and whether it's Moyes or not, like that doesn't matter. It's it's going against the manager's orders and deciding that you know better. And if you're going to do that, then boy, you better not get fucked afterwards because more yeah. you've you've 
you've disobeyed the, the the structure and then been punished for it. So yeah, it was it was unforgivable, but you, like you say, borderline comical because like what the heck? Well, number one thing, isn't it, for any midfielder in a Moyes team, like is surely you know your zonal out, your out position zonal responsibilities is like the one thing you don't yeah. want to just leave, um, yeah. and and you can't get away with doing that. And anyone who has, by the way, has not lasted very long at West Ham. Like Flynn Downs didn't yeah. stay long for a reason. <laughs> Alex Crowell didn't stay long for a reason. Like players who can't hack staying in that zone and dominating that zone don't stay in the team. Thomas Suchek has stayed in the team for such a long time because he doesn't leave his zone, man. Like he, yeah, yeah. he knows where he needs to be and he will physically battle for that zone on the pitch and he'll give his all in that duel with whoever comes into that space every week he steps out onto the onto the pitch. If you make individual decisions to leave, like you say, you've got to cover yourself and your teammates afterwards. You can't be jogging around the pitch. But again, it's the back line again. When someone squeezes, squeeze with them. You don't yeah. start backing off at the same time that someone is squeezing up. You're creating much bigger problems for yourselves by doing that. Um, so yeah, those two things come together. You've got Leandro Trossard and Erdegaard are dropped off. So like the back line have no excuse to be yeah. backpedaling. In a, in a situation like that. And then again, it's a straight ball between the lines for Havertz because there's so much space between the deepest midfielder and the centre-backs because the centre-backs are far too weak psychologically to be making yep. the decisions to, to, to step up. Um, anyway, there, there are the goals. There are all the things that, that play into them. Let's cover individual performances quickly because I don't want to keep you too long. And we've, we've already gone 38 minutes just talking about... Um, <laughs> How the goals and how rubbish <laughs> the performance was. If we're going to pick out individuals within this, let's talk about the centre-back partnership, actually, because that is the key thing here, really, isn't it? If you're looking forward from this point, other players, there's not really much you can do. There's this whole distraction being going on in the West, in West Ham spaces about Ben Johnson playing on the left wing and like could have been... like It doesn't really... Isn't, whoever played in that position wouldn't have made a, a, any difference to how the centre-backs defended and no. the situations that we got ourselves in. We've lost jewels at the back. like, And the, the weakness that the centre-backs showed throughout this game uh, and the decisions Emerson made that contributed to a couple of the goals as well. Um, I understand why it's an, an issue for people, but it's kind of a bit of a distraction from what the, the, the real meat of what's happening here. Um, and anyway, there's not really that much that you can move around ahead of the the defense because there aren't really that many players to yeah. to be changing it around and Moyes clearly doesn't trust Cornet anyway and Johnson had earned the, an additional opportunity after playing really well against uh, Man United like it would have been insane to to, to drop him yeah. after he played so well in that game so anyway that's how I feel about the the attack the defense the one thing that can change after this game if there's anything that's going to change after this game it's it's who starts in the centre back positions yeah. and. Um, I just wanted to get what you thought about that, whether you think we continue with Zuma and Ogur, who are currently running a goals conceded per game rate that's like more than any other centre-back partnership by a mile <laughs> that, that has been at West Ham in Moises' period, like worse than the Diopogbona combination of dreams um, that we were dealing with for a while. Um, I, I, and if you don't think we should continue, I assume Mavropanos is the guy that's coming in. Yeah. Um, to the unit, possibly Obono, but definitely more so Mavropanos, who has probably done more to prove himself, particularly when it comes to the physical duels, which were the problem in this game. Like he has been, of all of the centre backs this season, probably the most dominant yeah. in his physical duels. Um, who's dropping out? Because on one hand, you've got Zuma, who genuinely looks like someone has detached his legs, attached them on the wrong side, facing backwards. Like any kind of movement <laughs> just sends him. Over, like he just falls over if he tries to run, and um, and Nyfagard, who just the defensive quality just doesn't seem to be there, does it? Yeah, um, yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm definitely changing, uh, definitely, and I think even like I know there's an element of our persistent let them play out of the funk, but like the funk's been too long now, and like something has to change I think in my opinion not even necessarily just from a tactical point of view but like to light a fire up the arse of whoever it is you drop and be like look these performance levels are not acceptable and therefore there has to be some sort of consequence and if that's getting dropped and you taking a little bit of time out of the team and prove that you're actually worthy of the slot then then that's what I would be looking at Um, I think when you look at the run of fixtures that we've got I think it would be Zuma that I drop I think his form has been worse um, for me but also so Forest next, I think we're likely to 
well, I, if I was in charge, would be putting an emphasis on build-up and I wouldn't want us necessarily to dropping in and defending our box as aggressively or as like doggedly as we have been. And therefore I I would like to see a Gerd and Mavropanos together. I think the confidence on the ball should serve as well in possession. I also wonder if it might spark something with a Gerd as well, like ha- having the confidence of having someone that isn't so out of form alongside him. Um, might let him play with a, like a, a new level of freedom almost uh, rather than, essentially having to cover for Zuma so often, um, as we saw uh, both against Arsenal, but also against United in those sort of, I think it was Hoyland's goal where he had to spring out because Zuma just didn't do it. Um, whereas I think in Mavropanos, and I wonder as well, maybe in hindsight, I understand why we rolled out with Zuma and, and Agurd against Arsenal, but I think given how little of the um, in-possession play for Arsenal was focused on actually entering any duels with Agurd and Zuma in the box. It was a lot of around the edge of the box. Having someone like Mavropanos, who, for, for his faults, he is much more likely to spring out uh, and sort of be the one that drags that line up because he so wants to play on the front foot. I wonder if a few of those goals that Arsenal had would have maybe been prevented just by having him saying, uh, particularly for the the goal, that, the penalty goal, the build up to that I think he would have had that line a lot higher just because it's his nature to do it and I wonder as well some fans would probably say that oh well after years of playing in the low block and they're just not accustomed they're not used to being advanced and they're not used to knowing when to spring the line out and I think there maybe is some weight to that argument I would say that as a Premier League footballer you have to take some responsibility in the game state. And if it if the game state dictates that you need to step up a little higher than you usually do or that you've been coached to do, you should have the sort of wherewithal and the, the, the knowledge and the experience to go, oh, okay, yeah, cool. We should probably step up here. Like you're a professional centre-back with years of experience under your belt. And I think in Mavropanos, there maybe is a bonus to the fact that he has come from a much more front-footed side playing in Germany and he's not as weathered maybe <laughs> in in the moist system so he's more likely uh or less likely to be uh, affected i was going to say infected which well maybe that is right uh <laughs> infected by the by the moist sort of low block so yeah i'd be bringing him in alongside a gird and uh, yeah i mean with any luck it's a partnership that could like you say bring a gird back up to speed and i think help us in possession as well because we Lord knows we need that in build-up, but also we've got recovery pace as well with Mavro, which Zuma has lost a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I found myself on this pod last, literally last week talking about how much a Gerd made us look like a capable football team on the ball. And then I'm one week later talking about how terrible <laughs> a Gerd is defensively and how, how big of a problem he is for the team out of possession. I agree, though. I think Zuma is, is, has become such a problem for whoever plays alongside him. <laughs> There's all this kind of heightened sort of anxiety about having to cover for for him who I mean he is just so poor at the moment um so I think he is the clear person to take out of that unit and just to clarify when we're talking about kind of the defensive line height for goals like the second goal that Arsenal score which comes from that penalty of course um it's not necessarily, really, you know, because people might be sitting here thinking, well, the line's kind of high. You know, it's the, the the problem is not having pressure on the ball, but pressure on the yep. ball would be more possible if Mavropanos is in that back line, for example, steps up and says, I'll have Havertz. You know, yep. Trossard has dropped all the way up like to, to Suchek. I'll take Havertz. You go, you go. Yep. Warprouse can then go and put the pressure on Trossard because Alvarez can step one line up and Suchek can go to, to Erdegaard. It it's a chain reaction. Knock-on effect. And it should, yep. you know... I know your your you know your striker is your first defender if you like, and your centre backs and your goalkeeper are your first attackers. But you need that you need to have some kind of synchronisation of approach between that unit. So if your striker is going as Bowen was so much in the in the Arsenal game, you know, really trying to chase after Arsenal centre backs, then you need that to be replicated on all the lines behind that. And unfortunately, the midfield was in a position where it couldn't really properly support that because it was covering Havertz and Erdegaard where Zuma and Agurd didn't have a man <laughs> yeah. and weren't willing to step up onto that line and say, right, we'll have that. Um, yeah, so I think, like you say, Mavropanos probably does have a little bit more of that attitude in, in him, yeah. and we've seen that in the way that he plays already. So I think his insistence to try and step out w- would help us. And I also think what you said about the fixtures we have coming is the most important thing. Yeah. We, 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 we've got games where we're going to need to be good and build up, going to need to be good on the ball. And I think that partnership is our best partnership 
um, yeah. on the ball. Um, Marapanos and I go. So if there's a chance to to give them a run, this is probably the best You've chance. Got four to... games essentially coming up yeah. where, uh, yeah, we he is basically here. You go here's your opportunity. Prove yourself and fingers crossed and <laughs> they can do it yeah so I, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about david Moyes, but i do want to try and squeeze into the end of this podcast a, 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 a glimmer of positivity which is to say we have desperately been missing pakata desperately been missing pakata i mean selling four thousand ben rum was ridiculous given the fact that we have no other player in the squad of that ilk right because we've let lanzini go we've let four go we've let ben rama go and as much as Corne might on paper be a left winger, he's not a facilitator. He's just another direct attacker like your Bowen, like your Antonio, like your Kudus. And at the moment, we've got all these guys who want to be getting in behind and no real players in the squad who want to be supplying them, right? So we need Pakatar back. Hopefully he's going to be back soon and that will help us in this coming run of games. But also someone that I think has been just forgotten about way too much. Mikel Antonio obviously became less important when we saw how well the front three of Bowen, Kudus and Pakatar was performing. But I went back and watched that Brighton game, like I said, three goals that wouldn't have happened without him. You know, you see the physical impact that he can have when you're countering. And even if he wasn't to start games when we had our first choice, three available, Pakatar, Bowen, Kudus, in a situation like the Arsenal game, to be able to bring him on, or in any game, really, to be able to bring him on into that unit and say, if we're in the lead, now you've got this dynamic, chaotic presence up front that you're going to have to deal with on counters, will augment us significantly and improve us significantly and make us um, more of a difficult team to play against for so many of the the defensive units that are going to be having to deal with the players that we have. Because I think we have got, if there's an area of our squad, you know, our squad is ridiculously overrated by the fan base, but if there's an area of the squad that is that good, <laughs> it's that bit of the squad, isn't it? It's the, it's, yeah. it's Bowen, it's Kudus, it's Pakatar, and being able to throw people like Antonio into that, being able to throw James Will Prowse in at 10 who can supply as well. You know, we have got really good players. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. Area. But I, yeah, I, I think the, the the squad comment is is worth mentioning because I think there's such cognitive dissonance between, well, we need to get rid of Moyes because we've got a squad that can kick on to play Champions League football, but we're getting duppied six nil by a Champions League team. Like, and it's because the players are turning in shit performances. So, like, yeah. I think we've got a decent start in eleven, and we've got fuck all after that. Like, you can't say that we've got a Champions League squad when Donny's like Cresswell and Ogbonna are still active members of the playing squad like I thought the days of seeing Cresswell come on the football pitch were gone but the fact that we're (laughs) throwing him out in a desperate attempt to see out an absolute drubbing uh, I think paints a picture of where the squad is really at and I think realistically we're it's the third summer in a row that we've said it but we're going to have a massive rebuild and overhaul of the squad on our hands which again makes life difficult because there's no stability really of the squad it's constant churn which makes it really difficult to have any sustained sort of progress I think the key thing that we would both agree here is whoever the manager is of West Ham this club needs to move in a direction of improved recruitment number one younger recruitment and a model that's more about developing players Um, we cannot continue to punt on players over the age of 27 like that has to stop now mm-hmm. um as much as i think it's difficult because we've been in this position where we have been in europe and we want to keep hold of it to try and stabilize the income the increased income as much as possible you you end up in this in this kind of cycle right um where yeah cut zoom is good for you for a couple of years but then you have what's happening now and we need to recruit possibly at the lower end in terms of age profiles to be able to trust people to stick around longer, develop them. And even if um, they don't stick around very long, we can probably make quite a lot of money on selling them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Someone like Goodis is a really good example of this to then go again and, 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 and reinvest in the squad. I think that's the biggest thing. So uh, whether it's Moyes or anyone else, that needs to happen. We need to bring in younger players and, um, and trust them. And that doesn't mean 19, 20 year olds, by the way, I don't, it's not just yeah. that it's just the difference between recruiting like your Danny Ings kind of age profile and your Kudus age profile. I think that's more what I'm, yeah. what I'm talking about. 
Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. We good? I know you've got stuff to do. Should we should we leave it at that? Yeah, I think we can wrap up there. I don't think it kind of yeah, just to finish, I think I just wanted to say on the Moyes position, I know a lot of fans will probably be expecting us to come out and say what's changed after that result. And I think I would say largely, I think everyone knows both of our stances really. And I'd say there probably isn't I would expect there isn't a dramatic change from your point of view. Um it's I guess a bit of a freak result. Um and for me, I think the only issue, and I've touched on it earlier, is that uh, my my view would be entirely dependent on how the rest of the season plays out because if it keeps showing that the things that David Moyes is meant to be good at are no longer working, then I think it it presents an opportunity to move on. And I think you can we arrive at the crossroads again, right? You go, oh, look at the playing squad, but he's got in Phillips now, which I can imagine was his idea. He's got Ward Prowse, which again was his idea, and you can't blame the oh, I don't have the squad because you've got what you wanted. And if you can't then make it stick with those decisions working in your favor, I think then I would be looking at it and going, well, we can't continue down this garden path because we're now we're building a Moyes squad. And if it continues next season and we've kept him, we've got a squad full of Moyes players. We have to ax him. And then someone comes in and goes, Oh, well, you can't judge me yet because I've not got my squad and you're stuck in this in cycle. That's just never going to end. I think we need to take a more long-term approach of, okay, anyone we buy now needs to be able to, play in a system post Moyes should that happen which I think we're headed to like Kudus, Paketar, all these players they're good enough a Gerd again I would say is probably good enough to thrive in a different system almost definitely in fact uh, someone like Emerson these are the types of players that Alvarez can too. yeah exactly so I think it's good we're heading in that direction but I don't think Moyes can use the well I need a few more sign-ins because we've done we're there now and if it, if the system if the season carries on and, and it all falls away then I think Moyes kind of has to go with it is where I'm at. Sure. Yeah. I think for me, just to, to, to kind of explain where I'm at, I think, you know, I put a tweet up this morning at the time of recording saying that there's a lot of takes lying around that luck is the only difference between what happened in the Arsenal game and other games of the season. It's not for me, it's execution. It's execution. You can't, can't, for me, shit talk the way that we played against Brian. You can't do that about the way that we played in the second half against Chelsea. You can't do that about the other performances we've had against Arsenal yeah. this season. Like we have Man United at home. Like we we have done a really good job of executing this game plan to a high level previously this season. We executed the game plan. We we didn't even fucking execute the game plan. Let's be honest. <laughs> we were just shit all over the pitch um, and. For me, game plan or not, you know, whatever that is, you can't get away with with being that rubbish all over the over the pitch and not putting in good good performances. Um, I think with the recruit on the recruitment side of things, I'm very much aligned um, with you. I, I, the blend I I would really like personally, which is not a blend I don't I don't think many people are are, are keen on, but the blend I would really like is is um someone else doing his recruitment and bringing in younger players who can do the Moyes thing, you know, rather than it having to be James Will Prowse, Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire that come in in a window. I think there are plenty of really good, hungry, under 26 players. Profiles, not players. There you go. Who can do what David Moyes is asking his players. Yeah. I think that's it. There's plenty out there. I mean, we've spoke about so many of them, but I exactly. think Moyes is, uh, I think, yeah, like you say, he needs to hand over that responsibility and trust that someone like Steyton, even though Steyton might not like the player, like he might not want to sign them, it's his job to 
strengthen the starting eleven for the manager and he would do it. Like, but I think Moyes is insistent on, well, I know exactly that Ward Prowse is what I want because I've seen him do it in the Premier League and I know Phillips can do it in the Premier League. So I want him. I don't want the 23 year old version of him because I've never heard of him. Whereas, well, I mean, it's not, it's not fucking working, is it? So you might as, you might as well just roll the dice on the other guys. No, exactly. And I said this in the summer, you know, when that, when all those stories were coming out about Moyes and Stuyton and whether they agreed or disagreed. And who knows the reality of that? Because yeah. we just don't know. But I said at the time, if Moyes isn't willing to work in a direction around the, the you know, the kind of recruitment that we go for that, that means a healthier long-term future for, for West Ham, then he's not the manager of this football yeah. club. He can't be the manager of this football club. Um, yeah. And if he's going to be stubborn over that. And again, I, the reason I don't talk about this too much is because I don't bloody know. I'm not in the room. I can't mm. tell you what the discussions are. I can't tell you who's saying what. All I hear is what certain reporters say or what gets leaked through different places. And I who knows how much validity I can give to any of that. Yeah. But ultimately, there has to be alignment, owner, technical director, head of recruitment, manager, that we need to fix our recruitment because the recruitment at the football club has been the biggest or one of the key hamstringing issues that this club has had for a long, 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 long time. Um, so I think we just all need to be in agreement over that. And if anyone isn't, I don't want them. Here. <laughs> um, but I can't, like, again, I can't assess any of that really. I can only assess who ends up coming in and everyone ends up with shared responsibility, responsibility for who ends up coming in and then how they play on the pitch. Yeah, that's all I can really um, assess. Right. Cool. Thank you, Cal. I know you're very busy and you've taken all some good. time to do this one in an extremely busy week. And, and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, suffering through a podcast that did end up meeting the full hour requirement. Yeah. We we're going to end the shorter to put you through less pain after a 6-0 loss, but we got here. So, uh, yeah, thank you for getting through it all. And um, we'll catch you next week. And hopefully um, there's an upturn in form on the, on the horizon at West Ham. Lord knows we need it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I can... It's getting quite depressing, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. All right, cool. See you later. Adios. Sports Social Podcast Network.